Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Morning, everyone. Happy hump day. And welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's Whitehall correspondent, Mikey Smith. Good morning, Mikey. Good morning. We had a bit of a basic instinct earlier on, but he's buttoned his shirt up now. So if anybody's distracted, do let the mail on Sunday know. Now, this is the People's Paper Review. So get into the comments, ask us your questions. The best ones do get a News Agenda mug and a new batch is on the way, version 2.0. So get in there and grab yourselves one. Those of you listening later on podcasts are just going to have to open a window and scream at one of your neighbours. So what have we got today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the story of a rather amazing woman who's given away £11 million this year. More on her later. But first, on page eight, there's a story about the war in Ukraine. Now, yesterday, Defence Secretary Ben Wallace confirmed to Parliament that the UK has donated military kit worth £200 million to Volodymyr Zelensky's troops to fight the Russian aggressor. And I think we all remember Prime Minister Boris Johnson talking about leading the world, cutting off Russian energy dependence and thereby strangling Vladimir Putin's ability to wage war. Only it says here, Mikey, on page eight, that in the same period, the UK has spent £220 million on Russian oil. So what the hell's going on? Why are we spending more on their oil than we are on the kit that needs to defeat them? Uh, So the key phrase here, which was written very small in the small print at the time, is phased out. So when obviously politicians were making a lot of noise about, yes, we're uh, going to stop bringing in Russian oil and gas, etc. What they actually meant was we're going to do it by the end of the year. Uh, and there are probably still going to be some loopholes. So um, uh, we we obviously made a big show of turning away uh, Russian ships uh, coming in, into the UK, but we didn't turn away ships from other countries which are carrying Russian oil, for example. We have realistically a lot of contracts that run to the end of the year, um, and we haven't cancelled those because they're very, very expensive. Um, and uh, so, yes, that's that's the head and tail of it. Is that yes, we've made a big uh, a big song and dance about not using Russian oil anymore, but we're still kind of using the stuff that we've already got on the way. Yeah, we've already we've already bought it, and it's coming. But this is something that that Greenpeace has figured out. So Greenpeace knows this is Russian oil on these ships. Surely the, the government has known then. Because if Greenpeace can figure it out, the government knows, right? You've gone on mute, Mikey, somehow. Or I can't hear you. I'm back. There this, you go. Yeah, the government has kind of known all along. This was, like I say, this was, this was in the small print um, all along. They just didn't really advertise the fact because they wanted to look tough on, tough on Russia. Um, and uh, But yeah, no, this was kind of the plan all along. Yeah, not not telling people stuff does tend to backfire. Just 
just FYI, Boris, if you're watching, um, it's usually best to be upfront straight away to start with. So we're not dependent on Russian oil imports. We just keep on buying them, uh, which is a different thing entirely. Um, and we can't see any reason not to do it, it would appear. Now, elsewhere on that page, there's lots of hot talk about the war. Now, get into the questions, everybody. Tell us what you think. What do you feel about buying Russian oil and you know, complying with the contracts we've already got is, as the government would say, is that reasonable? Mike says Putin said he wanted payments in rubles now. So have we agreed to this or is it money already paid? That's a very good point, Mikey, because um, Putin was saying all all payments must be in rubles from now on because he can't deal in the international market. So does that mean is this stuff we've already paid for, like in pounds or is this stuff we're paying for now in rubles? My understanding is, yes, it's stuff we've already paid for in pounds. All right, so uh, it's not. Yeah. So it's not cash rubles we're giving the man now. It's no. cash pounds we gave him when he was preparing for the war in Ukraine, which everyone was warning about, including the security services. Exactly. Right. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that, Mike and uh, Mikey. Together, you managed to make it even worse for the government. <laughs> Cheers. Now, um, so there's lots of hot talk on that page about the war, and Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has been accusing the West of waging a proxy war by supplying military kit to the Ukrainians, which are being used to fight the Russians. Now, other famous proxy wars of recent memory would include the one in Syria, where the Russians were supplying kit and troops to Bashar al-Assad, not the world's nicest man, um, and, of course, in eastern Ukraine, in the Donbass, where Russia's been supplying kit and some very fighty war veterans to um, Russian-speaking areas while telling the people living there that they're being oppressed by the Ukrainians. Um, so Russia doesn't know about proxy wars. They do know what one looks like, to be fair. Um, but, Mikey, has he got a point? Because we are... You know, we are indubitably supplying kit to the other side and we are encouraging them to use it. So we are engaged in a proxy war, aren't we? We are. But normally you keep a proxy war, if you're going to call it a proxy war, secret. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think uh, anyone is surprised when they find out that we've been supplying kit and training. Yeah, you pretend it wasn't you. You pretend it was the Viet Cong all along and it was nothing to do with you. As as you know, as Russia was doing in Donbas as recently as earlier this year, um, yeah. but but yeah, no, I, I, it, it kind of is a proxy war if you wanted to use that definition. But normally, you you wouldn't say out loud to the UN, for example, uh, that that we that we're doing that if if that was uh, if that was what you wanted to call it. No, now. Um... I'm going to get your name wrong, I'm afraid. I'm going to call you Cecil because I'm not even going to try to pronounce your first name. I'm going to cock it up if I do. Um, but Cecil says, war is not supposed to be an option in the 21st century. Quite right. Unfortunately, I think we have had quite a few wars in the 21st century and quite a few in the 20th as well when we were supposed to be beyond that point. But part of what you were just saying there, Mikey, about this this proxy war business, the fact you don't mention it, why would he therefore be mentioning it? Is it because he he wants to flush it? Does he does Lavrov does Russia? I mean, they keep talking about the fact that they're, they're actually fighting NATO and they're actually fighting the Americans. They're not fighting the Ukrainians at all. They seem to have changed their internal discussions about this to saying we are fighting a war with NATO. They are attacking us now. Mm. Does it suit the Russians then to say we're fighting the West? We're not fighting Ukraine because that's gone badly. We're fighting the West and that's why we're losing. I think it probably does. Also, I think. I mean, if if you've any experience of uh, of listening to the words of Sergei Lavrov over over the last few years, he's nothing if not provocative. Uh, he he says a lot of stuff, 
Um, of course, the the UK will always say this is uh, entirely legitimate what we're doing, but uh, it's it's possible that this is Lavrov trying to uh, speak possibly to some other countries who are potentially allies of of Russia um, who who might be uh, enthused by this. It might be speaking to the Russian people. Who, I mean, Boris Johnson was on telly last night uh, saying, uh, and he suggested that might be a reason that uh, he might sort of end the war early to retain his popularity domestically. So I don't know. Yeah. There, there are there are various um, intricacies involved in this, which I, I don't always. Uh, I don't think we always have a full grasp of when they when they first happen. No, they, they do like really playing perfect. chess, the Russians, don't they? And it's always very difficult playing chess. I'd much rather play, you know, whack-a-mole, it's easier. Now, Gary says, our Chancellor's family are still running their business in Moscow after telling other British businesses to pull out of Russia. I think you're referring to Infosys, which is the Chancellor's wife's family, and I think I'm right in saying that they have now agreed to pull out of Russia and pull down their operations there. So uh, it's not. it has changed, although they were of course, operating in Moscow, despite the war. And that was half the reason why all the kerfuffle came out and the scrutiny started of Rishi Sunak's um, wife's connections, uh, the business's connections in Moscow. So, and her tax status and everything else. So it all went very badly for Rishi, to be honest, uh, that he probably should have tried to sort something on that out a bit sooner if he could. Now, keep asking us your questions. What do you think about continuing to buy Russian oil? Do you think that we should be complying with our legal obligations? This is money we've already spent. It's a deal we've already struck. Or do you think we should have pulled out, compensated them or whatever? We have to, might have to pay them extra. You never know. Still got to pay them something if you don't have their oil. And then we'd have less oil. Um, but what can we do about it? Is there anything alternative? Should we have been actually been trying to give more military kits, perhaps, than the £200 million worth, seeing as we were spending more than that on the oil? And why were we having these deals on oil from the Russians when our security services were warning for quite a long time that there was a war brewing in Ukraine? Get in the questions, ask us, let us know your feelings on it. Um, now, those one chink of hope is that the, the UN Secretary General met Putin yesterday in Moscow and offered to become a broker for humanitarian corridors in Ukraine, because those that are agreed so far by Russia and Ukraine have a worrying tendency to get bombed as soon as anyone starts wandering down them. Now, Mikey, Putin did make some positive noises about all this, but he's probably just playing for time, I would guess. What's the What's the take in Westminster? What are you hearing about how much longer this can go on for and, and how it's going to end? Um, I mean, that's that, that's a very, very good question. I mean, from what Boris Johnson was saying last night, he's, he's I think, quite optimistic that it might end sooner rather than later. Uh, so, so, as I say, Putin can save face. The, the problem politically, domestically... Uh, is that uh, just purely out of the way the world works, the longer something like this goes on, the less interested the public are in it uh, to, to an extent. You know, the, 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 the less attention it's likely to get, which means that it doesn't really 
it it it, it it's difficult to 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 see how mm, it's a it, it it's a different a difficult road to walk down. I'm 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 I'm, I'm uh, struggling to put this into words, but Boris Johnson knows he's got a certain amount of time he can allocate to this, um, uh, and it's it's not necessarily something that is going to be top of the agenda for as long uh, uh, as much as it has been in uh, recent months. Uh, I. So do you think then that is what you're saying that Boris Johnson kind of wants this to be like a six month war, get some headlines out of it, and then move on to something else, even if the war is still continuing? That that's certainly one way to interpret it. Yes, it, it, yeah. it's certainly been helpful to him. Obviously, you know, this would not be something that I would necessarily agree with on a on a moral or ethical level, but it's certainly been something that has been helpful to him as a prime minister to make him look like a, a strong leader. It's, it's certainly been used by senior ministers as uh, a reason why we can't get rid of Boris Johnson. You know, we can't possibly get rid of Boris Johnson while uh, while a conflict is happening between two other countries that we are not. Um, they've, they've been saying, you know, that we are at war. We're, we're not at war. Um, and even if we were at war, we've changed prime ministers during wars before. Yeah. But uh, from a from a PR perspective, it has been a, a a helpful time for Boris Johnson. Obviously, I don't think even he would wish this on his worst enemy. But the timing of it has been fortuitous to his public image, slightly. Hmm. So, well, that possibly raises the prospect then maybe of the Russian oil deals not by the end of the year, if people's attention is elsewhere, perhaps not being totally weaned off. The attention economy is uh, what we all have to live with. Yes, exactly. We are still going to need some oil at the end of the year. Thank you, Mikey. That was incredibly depressing. Sorry. Please try and pick it up for the next one, won't you? Honestly. Now, Thank keep us your questions, everybody. Uh, what do you think about the war in Russia? Do you think Boris is just doing this for headlines? Do you think he's going to get bored? Do you think we're going to get bored? Do you think Vladimir Zelensky needs to know what Mikey's just told us? Uh, I, I don't know if he's watching it in the bunker, but if you are, hi, Vladimir. Well done. Keep going. Um, but now there is another story going on. So fans of political satire, the thick of it, might recall an episode many years ago where ministers were made to go on a country retreat and do some blue sky thinking, toss around a pink ball while coming up with mad ideas that were, you know, illogical, um, that never got off the ground. And this week, it seems that much the same happened in a cabinet meeting on Monday, I think, where ministers were encouraged to come up with some radical ideas about how to save money to reduce the cost of living crisis. And they appear to have been told by the prime minister, just, you know, there is no bad idea. Just say something. Just come up with something. What do you think? And on page two, our colleague Pippa Crera is reporting on Grant Shapp's bright idea which was to make MOTs a legal requirement every two years for car owners rather than one. Now, Mikey, I just had my MOT, purely by coincidence. And mm -hmm. aside from the 55 quid that the MOT cost me, there was another 300 quid for new tyres, uh, a reset of the tyre pressure monitoring system because the computer was all manged up, and some new bits and bobs because they do require MOTs at regular You must have an oil change. You must have a new filter. You must do this, that, and the other. So I have a hunch 
that if they said I only had to do that every two years rather than one, the true cost of the MOT, rather than £300 every year, would actually be £600 every two years. And therefore, that doesn't really help. And in fact, it might cost more because my car's been run down for an extra year before I got to, like, you know, change the oil. Yes. I mean, the other problem, the other problem with it is that if you suddenly, I mean, uh, I don't know if some of our viewers today are independent mechanics, uh, <laughs> but I imagine they will have been looking at this and screaming because suddenly, so everyone gets their MOT done this year and then suddenly they don't have to next year. So mm. a good chunk of income for independent uh, garages uh, is is immediately taken away. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, it seems like a really good way to make every independent garage in the country go bankrupt in one year. And, Great idea, Grant. Yeah, and, and also make MOTs more expensive by making them, as he thought, less expensive, because you're not spending 50... This just smacks of an idea from someone who has not maintained his own vehicle for maybe decades. This is the weird thing. So Grant Shapps, I don't know if everyone knows this, Grant Chaps flies aeroplanes, right? You know, he, he has he has a pilot's license. And the amount of checks you have to do before you can fly an aeroplane, you would think that that some of this would carry over into his thoughts about uh, uh, about cars. Yeah. But no, apparently That's his not. car there at the moment in that picture. <laughs> it's a government car that someone else drives and someone else cleans and someone else maintains and someone else does the MOT for. And because it's a spanking new car, when it does its MOT, yeah, it's only 50 quid because there's nothing fallen off yet. Right, but my car's like six years old, eight years old, whatever. Bits are starting to fall off, and your average person who can't afford the fifty quid MOT has got an even older car with even more bits falling off. So it's even more expensive. Oh my god! <sighs> Mike says fifty pound a year isn't a big saving, is it? But it is a big headline, though. Um, there are better suggestions of ways to ease the cost of living crisis. Uh, if any of our viewers have some, do get into the comments and let us know. What would you cut or save in order to try and uh, ease the cost of living? What would you change? Would it be MOTs? Would it be car insurance? Would it be getting rid of house insurance? Uh, would it be just reducing all rent, uh, capping rent, perhaps? I don't know. Kind of things that the Tories hate and they don't start suggesting this, even if they're in a blue sky meeting um but mikey these kind of ideas they're they're coming up you know in cabinet and they're going to a cost of living committee he's got a committee that'll fix it and then hopefully it's just it just dies there yeah well there was a <laughs> this has all been uh, quite an interesting little ruse because as as we all know the the, the local elections are coming up uh, on may the 5th and for the three weeks prior to a local election the government isn't really meant to make any big policy announcements uh, because that would be unfair uh, to give them an unfair advantage in, uh, in in the forthcoming election. Now, what they have decided is a is a is a great ruse. After weeks of, of the the problem Boris Johnson has is he's spent weeks telling everyone that he doesn't want to talk about Partygate because he wants to talk about the things that everyone is really uh, concerned about in the country, the cost of living crisis. And then suddenly on Monday morning, he woke up and said, really should do something about that. Yeah. Anyone got any ideas? But they couldn't, <laughs> but they couldn't announce any ideas really uh, because of what they call PERDA, you know, the pre-election period. So the, the the sneaky plan was to have this blue sky thinking, oh, what might we do meeting, which then goes 
off into a committee and probably in a box somewhere and, and goes away. I don't think any of these things are actually going to happen, but it's supposed to be a signal to the electorate that they're thinking about it. They're, so it's, it's, they're, they're thinking about it. It's a way of talking about your policy when you're not allowed to talk about a policy. And even when the policy is really bonkers and you're never going to do it. Yeah. I mean, the other thing they talked about yesterday was privatising the passport office. So, I mean... <laughs> Brilliant <laughs> okay. idea. Something that is never going to happen. Yeah, no security concerns about that one, is there? Now, no. we just got a comment up that's disappeared. Somebody's saying that they could get rid of the Michael there, saying get rid of the bedroom tax. It would help a hell of a lot of people and it would save me 500 quid a year. That's 10 MOTs, Grant Shaps, if you're watching. Bedroom tax, scrap it. No one liked it to start with. Um, now, are there any other comments? Are we going on now? So there is some good news in the world. Uh, we've gone and found it for you. And luckily today it was on the front page. So here it is. Now, we all know that grands are loving and generous people with a tendency to spoil other people rotten, particularly small children. But Frances Connolly here has taken it one whole step further. After she and her husband, Patrick, won £115 million on the Euro Millions uh, three years ago, they have already given half of it away and 11 million this year alone. They set a budget for their donations, Mikey, and that was what she was supposed to be giving away over a decade, and she's done it in a year. Now, they've supported lots of good causes from Ukrainian refugees to things around their hometown in Hull. But the thing that struck me, Mikey, is that she says that giving to people and the thrill that gives her, it's addictive. She just, she can't stop doing it, right? She's got a problem and it's giving money to people. Is this why, do you think, can we finally understand that the Tories are so very against giving things to people? Do they think it's a gateway drug? This is why they didn't want to feed school children and stuff like that. They thought the next thing would be a crack pipe. I, I, you, you, you say it as if it's a joke, but that is genuinely a big part of, 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 of the mindset of, uh, of Conservatives. Genuinely, yeah, that is, you know... The, the, Tories, you will frequently, if you look through uh, Hansard, you'll frequently find Conservative MPs saying that Labour are addicted to giving away other people's money. Genuinely. Uh, addicted to spending other people's money. That's that's genuinely part of the mindset. Yeah, they do tend to say, don't they, that if, if we give them this, they'll only want us to give them more. Well, it's why, I mean, it's why in the States you, you hear uh, benefits referred to as entitlements. Mm. Um, so yeah, no, I think that genuinely is, you know, if you, if you give them free stuff, they'll only want more free stuff. There you go. There you go. Charitable donations. It's a gateway drug, everybody. Watch it. Watch your step. It's worse than caffeine. It's worse than crack. Uh, if you might go and have a bottle of wine instead, you'll feel a lot better about your life or more conservative anyway. Now, Mike says, did Boris Johnson, Mike, you are being naughty. You're being <laughs> naughty now. I know exactly what you're saying. Mikey here was uh, watching Boris Johnson's interview last night on a new TV mm -hmm. channel, which we're not going to mention because it's the other side. And um, he was asked a question <clears throat> about whether he had called uh, the former uh, defense, junior defence minister, Tobias Elwood, um, whether he had called him a name that if you were to type it into your phone would come up as aunt. Now, Mike here is asking whether Boris Johnson, who denied doing that last night, did really call Toby Elwood aunt mikey 
Uh, I don't know is the answer to that question. Uh, <laughs> Boris Johnson says he did not. Uh, there's no loft, lo there's no love lost between those two. Um, uh, Tobias Elwood does not like Boris Johnson, and I think the feeling is mutual. Whether he used that language, um, which uh, who knows I, if journalists didn't put it that way. Well, I, I should <laughs> I should note that I did watch the interview, but I watched it in the pub. Uh, on a, on a <laughs> That's phone. professionalism for you. It's a work <laughs> event. Anyone who's watching, <laughs> it was a it was a work event. But <laughs> it, that line did stand out somewhat from uh, from the interview in a largely news free interview, I should say. Aside yeah, from... uh, which is they're always fun, aren't they? News free <laughs> interviews. Desperately trying to think of something to say, and the best you can come you up with is a joke care. about uh, predictive text. Did you notice his hair in the interview as well? I didn't watch it. I've got a life to leave, mate. They gelled it down. Pretty sure they gelled it down. Oh, joking. Because it interferes with the green screen. <laughs> the flyaway <laughs> hair interferes with the green screen. So they, uh, I, I mean, I can't say this for sure, but I'm pretty sure if, if you have a look at it. I mean, I want to talk, but. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe Boris Johnson's found a comb. Maybe that was the story that you've missed, Mikey, because you were in the pub. I was. You were supposed to be working. You're on a teeny tiny screen. I wasn't. But it was seven o'clock at night. <laughs> Journalism never sleeps, Mikey. Honestly, <laughs> keep up. Thank you, everyone, for taking part. Thank you, Mikey, for joining us and explaining some of that to us. Um, careful for charitable donations, everybody. It's a slippery slope. You'll end up in under Westminster Bridge in a cardboard box giving stuff to people who to say thank you and that would be bad um join us we're not going to be back next monday because it's bank holiday and so everyone has a day off but we'll be back uh, this time next week next wednesday for another edition of the news agenda take care everyone bye bye <laughs>